I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Merry Christmas, Kiki. Merry Christmas, Tuesday. Today we are talking about probably one of the greatest Christmas movies ever, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Honestly, arguably, you can say this is probably one of the best adaptations of Dickens' book. Yeah, I think I think a, a lot of people who aren't Scrooges themselves uh would say that this is possibly the 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 best version of Christmas Carol. <laughs> I uh, weirdly enough one of the most accurate. Yeah, interestingly enough um you YouTuber Dominic Noble who we mentioned sometimes on the show uh who does the the series Lost in Adaptation he once did a video where he compared several famous uh, filmed versions of Christmas Carol uh, and checked them for uh, faithfulness uh, to Dickens' story. And weirdly enough, he kind of came down on the fact that this one was really shockingly accurate to Dickens' original story. Not just the dialogue of the characters is used verbatim in the movie, but the actual descriptive text, uh, Gonzo as Dickens actually saying actual uh, narration from the book, verbatim. Yeah, and possibly the most faithful version of Scrooge. And that's saying a lot. I mean, you you got like you know Patrick Stewart's version. You know, is is one of the great. Uh, in there as as well which I mean I don't knock I love that version Mm -hmm. Um, and we've got of course some of the greatest actors of all time have done their version of Scrooge you know it's it's Mm -hmm. one of the the great theatrical and also film parts to do but for some reason Michael Caine in this it's one of his best roles just ever in his career which is shocking given Michael Caine's career you know yeah and you know this has to be Christmas Carol in general has to be one of the most adapted stories to film and television there seems to be at least once a year some new adaptation of a christmas carol that just gets made this year we get two the one i think a lot of people probably are more aware of is the version for apple tv with ryan reynolds and will ferrell but amazingly there's also one that just got released for netflix uh, an animated version of the Scrooge musical. 
So this year we're getting two adaptations of A Christmas Carol. I, I don't have the numbers on me, but it has to be one of, if not the most adapted piece of literature there is. Yeah, I mean, outside of probably certain Shakespeare pieces, I think Christmas Carol is probably, and and I think Christmas Carol is is much more accessible. I know Christmas Carol was one of my first theatrical things I ever did. I was like nine, I think. Who'd you play? Um, I was uh, Scrooge's little sister. Uh, and I was also one of the uh, children that follows around Ghost of Christmas Present begging for food and scraps and i was also one of the cratchit children so i I, I played several different parts yeah yeah scrooge's sister probably the only thing from the book that doesn't get mentioned in this movie yeah they they did cut her out because the scene of of him at school is very short um and they blend it very quickly you know, into into a different scene, but well, we get the nephew, so yeah, yeah. So this is also the first collaboration between the first major collaboration, I would say, between the Henson Company and Disney. Uh, they had done like Muppet yeah, Vision 3D. Yeah, this is the, the first. Yeah, the first the- theatrical film. They had not yet bought. The Muppets. This is just a co-production. It almost happened, though. Uh, you know, Jim was in the process of selling the Muppets to Disney at the time, and then he passed away, which halted all of that. Because while Jim wanted to sell, he was done with the Muppets. He, you know, he wanted to focus more on his other ideas. Even though they weren't financial successes, he found more creative freedom, creative gratification doing things like Labyrinth or The Dark Crystal. Ironically, as this episode is being released, happy 40th anniversary to The Dark Crystal. Yeah. And as this episode is being released, I mean, we have just passed the 30th anniversary of this movie. So we are recording this on the 30th anniversary of this movie. Yeah, I mean, this this is uh, this is, you know, all the all the Muppet social media accounts are going absolutely bonker doodles about the 30th anniversary of this film. This was the first Muppet theatrical film i saw in the theater and it was i mean let's let's just go ahead and rip that band-aid off it was the first one to be produced after jim had passed and also after richard hunt had passed because he he passed uh like right at the the beginning of of the year um he was he was already incredibly ill though uh prior to that if if you don't know uh richard hunt who was most well known for for playing scooter probably uh but uh janice and uh, beaker and uh 
Statler and, and some some others. Um, While they would, you know, have Statler and and Beaker speak in this movie, Scooter and Janice remain silent for a good decade after this, out of respect. Well, yeah, they had they had trouble recasting those parts for for quite some time, just like they they did um, Rolf. Yeah. Uh, after Jim passed, they couldn't find the right the right performer. Um, but yeah, Jim had passed in uh, ninety, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Muppets were in. A rebuilding time and of course as was the family and there was the the pause on the sale to Disney as we've discussed before when we've talked about Muppet projects from the 90s and they had to wait for Whitmire Steve Whitmire to get his legs under him as the new Kermit because this was his basically his big debut. So Steve Whitmire's first official on-screen appearance as Kermit was in a TV special called The Muppet Celebrate Jim Henson, which that was the Muppet company. That was the Henson company, their way of grieving Jim's passing. And the, the debut of the new voice of Kermit, that entire special was leading up to Who's going to perform as Kermit? And how, what would his new voice sound like? And we end it with Steve Whitmire doing the first ever lines as, uh, as Kermit. What a good song. I knew you guys could do the tribute for Jim. That whole special, uh, if, you've, if you've never seen it or if it's been, you know, your childhood since you've seen it, is... Absolutely heart wrenching and very meta, because it's the the Muppets acknowledging that they're puppets, because it's the Muppets trying to figure out who this Jim Henson guy is, because suddenly the Muppet Theater starts getting flooded with condolence letters over the loss of Jim Henson, and the Muppets are confused because they're not sure who this Jim Henson guy is. All they know that is he's he's Kermit's friend. Yeah, but they, but they don't know anything else, and then they decide to do the cardinal sin of Muppets. They look down. Yeah, and they they realize that that's where they remember Jim, as they remember seeing Jim when they look down. I remember this Jim Henson fella. Oh yeah, yeah, oh. he was always hanging around. Where, where, where? Uh, down there. Down that's, there. What do you mean? Whoa! Whoa. Hey. Who are those guys? I don't know, but they're still following us around. Wow. Hey, hey, look, look. When we move, they move. Try it. Okay, move, move. Oh, this is good. Stop, stop, stop. You know, let's stop looking at them even. It's too weird. That's the thing. We talk about this every time we talk about Muppets, that Jim was not precious about Muppets talking about the fact that they're puppets. Uh, Jim never hid himself during an interview. He he would do interviews on late night shows and everything fully visible with Kermit on his arm. And Kermit would acknowledge that there was a guy attached to him. Kermit would constantly make jokes about, you know, 
the existential crisis of Jim being attached to it. And they were hilarious jokes and very, you know, because the, the Muppets weren't for children. You know, the, the Muppets was an adult line. It wasn't adult in the sense of, you know, the the sex and violence joke of the original Muppet show. But it was adult in the sense of this is for parents and your children can also be in the room while you watch this. And um, I have time to change because there was a recent interview for the 30th anniversary of this of this special. And you don't see the puppeteers. You just see Kermit and Piggy and Gonzo and Robin talking about the movie. That that is a thing. I, I will digress for a moment and say that is a thing that shocked me about the recent D twenty three, because they were discussing the new um, Electric Mayhem series they're gonna do. Yeah, and the puppeteers are fully visible. And the puppeteers were fully visible. They did a um, like they had directors' chairs set up for the Muppets. And they had basically cut the bottom out or just left the the bottom uh, seat for the director's chair out. And they had the the puppeteers lying on the floor with their arms up. With so little that, iPads so they could see what their character was. Doing. Yeah, they had they had monitors set up, you know, so that the puppeteers could lie on the floor and and see the monitors. But the audience and even you know, video and pictures from D23 for that panel, you can see the puppeteers. And ever since Disney acquired the Muppets, that has been absolutely forbidden. Uh, Disney's takeover of the Muppets erased the puppeteers from the visual. Um, when I got the chance to see Steve Whitmire give a talk uh, when he was still performing Kermit and he actually sat there and gave a talk. Now, granted, he was giving a talk as part of a puppetry track to people who were interested in puppetry and it was sort of semi-professional. I mean, yeah, there were a lot of just Muppet fans, but a lot of people in the audience were there to talk about puppetry as an art form and as a profession. Um, so it was it was a bit half and half uh, in the audience. But he was allowed in that context to just sit fully visible and bring Kermit out as a puppet and put Kermit on his arm as a puppet and perform Kermit and talk about the process of per performing Kermit in a very technical way. And it's very unusual anymore for a Muppet to make an appearance in that way. Now that Disney owns the IP. Um, and I hate that because Jim was not precious about that. Um, and even they acknowledged it in Steve's first, you know, performance as as Kermit. That's what that entire special to Jim was, was the very meta thing of 
Muppets acknowledging they were puppets. And Muppets during Jim's era, not necessarily in the theatrical films, but in a lot of the, you know, kind of interviews and the more, uh, they did a lot of behind the scenes stuff that Jim would do where he would explain the art of puppetry and everything. Uh, a lot of times two little kids even, um, as, as well as on an adult level, he understood that your brain will eventually just accept the character if the puppeteer is doing their job correctly. And actors who work with Muppets on films talk about how after, you know, the first day or so of working with Muppets, or sometimes even within an hour or two, you stop talking to the puppeteer and you just start talking to the character. There's some great outtakes of various Muppet projects. The one that, that kind of gets has been circling around for the last few months. So there's a clip from Sesame Street with Julia Louis-Dreyfus talking to Elmo. <gasps> so that's it! Shh! Ah, the grump needs... Sorry. He said a bad word. Five dollars! Five dollars! You're gonna be a rich Muppet at the end of this day. <laughs> Bye. There's there's a similar one that that loves to get shared on social media with uh, Zach Braff. The fans don't really like it, red. It's really popular too. Fans don't really like in certain places the red puppets, but the Muppets that are red. I'm <laughs> this up. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oh, wow. I'm gonna get a new one. I was gonna take that word to Sesame Street. Don't take that word to Sesame Street, okay? Why not? Because the kids should not know that word. It's a but bad if you word. say it, everyone can say it. Okay, fine. You're right. Take it back to Sesame Street. Yay! <laughs> it's interesting because you know that There's the puppeteer, an adult, yeah. yeah, that there there is a a puppeteer just just barely out of frame. That is, and and never once does Zach Braff look down to make eye contact with the puppeteer. He is still talking to Elmo. <laughs> and it's it's fascinating because you know that like just six inches below that <laughs> is a large adult man <laughs> that is actually having this conversation. And yet that the small red piece of felt is what Zach Brass is focused on, you know? Um, and it's it's interesting how even as a fully adult person, you are you are completely lost in the illusion if the puppeteer is doing their job right. Uh, I mean, kind of a, a side note here. You yourself actually got to see some Henson performers perform recently as you got to see a performance of Puppet Up while you were out in California. Yeah, and they also do not hide the, the performers. Um and and that that show was originally put together uh, under Brian Henson, you know, so that is still under the Henson part of the, you know, the Henson Corporation, not Disney affiliated. So that still goes under under Jim's 
old idea of that you do not have to hide the puppeteer. Um, and so it, it still, it still works under, under that idea. Um, and honestly, when I was watching the show, you do just kind of focus on the, the puppets. You do just phase the, the human attached out because the puppet is the far more interesting thing. No offense to the human performer. And I, I don't think that the the human performers find that offensive because they want you to focus on the puppet. If they're doing their job right, that's what you should be focusing on. So, yeah, I mean, you know, to to bring it all the way back around, uh, that is the more interesting thing. And that's always what what Jim said when he was doing. He said I that he didn't care if you saw him wandering around attached to Kermit. Because Kermit is much more interesting than the bearded man attached to Kermit. You see bearded men every day. How many times do you see a talking frog? You know, of course you're going to focus on the talking frog. That's the more interesting thing. So, you know, yeah, in a in a film, you're going to, you know, cut that out of frame. Because that's, that's just how movies work. It's the same as any special effect. But, you know, it's the Muppets have never prior to Disney, the Muppets were never precious about acknowledging they were puppets. So let's go into the big news that came out with the 30th anniversary. So when this movie was made, this is a side note. This is actually Brian Henson's directorial debut. To which Michael Caine did not know this when he went when he when he joined this film and actually complimented the guy because he was directing like a pro, even though this was his first film. But well, he learned under some of the best, including his father, and and Frank Oz because yeah, Frank- Brian also worked you know under Frank Oz on things like Little Shop of Horrors and you know, so yeah, I mean he had he had worked under some of the best. Mm-hmm. And when it came down out to time to release this film, inter former head of Disney Animation, Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yep, this movie falled under his jurisdiction when he was at Disney. And he said to cut a certain song out of this film because it was too sad. And it was too slow as he felt that the children would uh, lose interest in the film if during this song. And, well, we need to keep the children's attention. That song was When Love is Gone. So that song is not in the theatrical version of the film. Which... For 30 years, I have always said, was one of the biggest mistakes that this company's ever done. Because without that song, you don't get the emotional gut punch of Belle leaving Scrooge. But then again, this is the same person who tried to get part of your world cut out of The Little Mermaid because it was too slow and too sad. And... As a child, that was always my favorite song from The Little Mermaid. So, shows what he knows. 
Now, luckily, if you had, like me, the VHS copy of this movie, Brian Henson was able to reinsert that song for the VHS release. So I saw this movie for the first time on VHS, and it had that song in it. When the movie was released on DVD, they used the theatrical cut, which did not have the song. And for... I refused. I'm not going to lie. I refused to buy any copy of this movie that did not have that song in it. Because to me, the movie is not complete without it. Uh, And for years, Brian had said that Disney had somehow lost the master copy of of that scene. Which is very ironic because we just spent last week talking about how Disney very rarely throws anything away. And I always thought, every time Brian Henson said that, I always thought, yeah, but did they really, though? Because Disney never loses anything. Fast forward to 2020. Middle of the pandemic. Brian Henson gets a call from Disney that they want him to come to the studio because they're working on a 4K restoration of the Muppet Christmas Carol for release. He comes into the office and sees that they have found the song. They have found the master and has reinserted it into the movie for this upcoming 4K release. That was 2020. (laughs) Fast forward to 2022... And it was announced that the Muppet Christmas Carol, the director's cut, the extended edition, was going to be on Disney+. Plus. Still waiting on a physical release. I'll still be waiting later. Yeah, probably. But we have it now. We have the movie as it was meant to be seen. And lo and behold, they're making you jump through hurdles to watch it. Because, of course, they are. So, if you want to watch this director's cut version, if you want to watch this movie the way Brian Henson intended this movie to be seen, you will have to go to Disney+. Plus. You will have to go to the Muppet Christmas Carol, go down to the Extras tab, and then go all the way down to, it says, the Muppet Christmas Carol, the full-length version. And you will be able to watch the director's cut, as it was meant to be seen of The Muppet Christmas Carol, including The Missing Song. Which is kind... Which, um... If you happen to back out after that point, you're gonna have to start all over again because they don't save your spot. (laughs) Sorry about that, so... You're gonna have to sit in one go. Why would you not? But just for people who may not have the time to see the whole film. Yeah, it's really bizarre that they they make you jump through so many hurdles to to see the proper version of the film. Especially when it's so easy to switch between, say, the regular theatrical or IMAX theater cut of the Marvel movies. Yeah, we know that they have the function within the software to allow you to choose which version of the film you want to watch on other things like the Marvel movies. So I don't know why it's not there. Like, do you want the theatrical cut or do you want the, you know, full length? And honestly, I don't know why you'd watch the theatrical cut. Just put the 
you know, the director's cut as the normal cut. Yeah. Uh, let's get to our cast. It's our Muppet cast. Everyone, I mean, again, the main thing here here is, you know, it's Steve Wittmeyer's feature film debut as Kermit the Frog. Everybody else is here. You have Dave Golds, we have Frank Oz, we have Jerry Nelson, and everybody else. So, as our Scrooge, Michael Caine, the legendary Michael Caine, and he he was one of the many people that were uh, considered for the movie. Uh, people like George Carlin. Can you imagine this movie if George Carlin was playing Scrooge? Yeah, I I love George Carlin. Don't get me wrong, but I I don't think it would have worked for this. I know George Carlin can do family movies. He was Mr. Conductor for Thomas the Tank Engine, and I uh sidebar. I love how people online have been cutting audio of. Thomas the Tank Engine and splicing in his comedy bits to make it look like the characters are swearing. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I know George Carlin for having a lot of swears in his comedy. I don't know if that would have worked for this movie. Even though I know he can do it. <laughs> I think the most interesting one I've heard connected with it was David Warner. Hmm. Who we've, we've talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know... He he did cheesy roles, but he also was a, a really good dramatic actor. Um, so I think he could have done a similar thing to what Michael Caine did. But I think that they really did end up with the, the best possible with Michael Caine. Because the story goes that when he had the meeting with Brian Henson. Brian Henson said, you know, would you consider working with the Muppets and doing Christmas Carol? And he said, yes, but with the stipulation that he be allowed to do it absolutely straight. That he never be asked to do it comedically or do anything, his word was Muppety, (laughs) that he was going to be the one person that acted as if there were no Muppets in the movie. And Brian said, perfect, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was what Brian was looking for until Michael Caine said it. I I don't know. I mean, he considered George Carlin for the part, and I don't think that's how George Carlin would have approached the part, you know? Mm. But whether or not that was in Brian's head, I I do not know, and possibly will never know. But to his credit, you know, the fact that he agreed with Michael Caine um, in the way that, that that it should be played, I think was probably the thing that made this movie. There were a lot of great decisions in this movie, but I think that was the thing that made this movie. Is not every 
Muppet film is like that. The opening to the, the Muppet script, the original Muppet movie script, sets up that in the world of the Muppets, humans are just used to seeing Muppets around. That they're they're never like, oh no, it's a Muppet. Wait, what? This is weird that I'm talking to a Muppet. What are you? You know, it's just that like, okay, in that world, bears and chickens and things talk. You know, like you see you see Muppets around. That's not the weird thing. They the the Muppets might do weird things, but the Muppets themselves are not a weird thing to occur in your daily life, you know. And that has always been the thing that has come across in every Muppet movie, you know. It's like there are humans and there are Muppets, and that's just how it is. And that is also true of this film. You know, Scrooge acts exactly the same whether or not he's talking to another human or to any other Muppet creature. And, and that, I, I think that's that's what gives it its. I think that's what gives it its verisimilitude. You know, I mean, I, th- I think that that's how you end up believing every other aspect of. Michael Caine's performance. Oh yeah, he's like he was, you know, no disrespect to any of the actors who were considered for this role. Michael Caine is like like the perfect Scrooge almost. And and the perfect Scrooge for this environment somehow because I don't know how it happened but for some reason to have like Gonzo and Rizzo running by doing some bit of shtick and Michael Caine standing there delivering his lines like he is on the West End. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like, it's like... <laughs> It's it's the most bizarre juxtaposition, and somehow your brain completely buys it. And as a child, I was fascinated by it. Because I was like 11, you know? Yeah. And I was like, this is the most fascinating and best version of Christmas Carol I have ever seen in my entire life. And we, both of us have seen a lot. I mean... Even at age 11, I had seen 700 productions of Christmas Carol and been in at least one by that point. (laughs) I mean, we grew up with, like, Mickey Mouse in Christmas Carol and Bill Murray. (laughs) Well, I I had never seen the Bill Murray version by that point. Um, I'm not going to lie. I had grown up with, you know, the the black and white versions, um, you know, the, the George C. Scott version I had grown up with and the Alistair Sim version, uh, that was animated, you know, there were so many of them 
but I, I grew up with like all these other really bizarre ones. And for some reason, the comedic versions were not the ones that ended up being the ones that I had. So I once saw one with Tom Arnold. I don't recommend it. <laughs> that sounds atrocious, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, the the thing about it is that the way that they cast the Muppets themselves as different characters is the other fascinating thing to me. As how they picked the Muppets to play the parts. Because there are stories that the Muppets were going to be different parts. Like, Miss Piggy was originally supposed to be, like, the ghost of Christmas present. You know, because she's nice and plump. And, you know, that was originally, you know, going to be the thing. And uh, I think Kermit was going to be different. Uh, not always going to be Bob Cratchit, I think. I think they were trying to avoid originally Disney's own other version of A Christmas Carol, which had Mickey Mouse in the Bob Cratchit role. Yeah. But they went with Kermit and Bob Cratchit anyway, because it just works. Kermit's character just works so well as this underappreciated worker. Well, yes and, and no. Um, there are there are differences um in Kermit's normal nature and Bob Cratchit's nature in the book. So you have to change Kermit's nature just slightly to make him a good Bob Cratchit. Um I was talking about this movie with our friend Tasha Cox, who uh if you listened to our Shape of Water episode, you will remember her. Um, and we were we were discussing this um, this film and the the use of of Muppets, and she had some really good things to say. So I'm going to kind of quote her a couple of times because she had some really good insights. And one of the things she pointed out was that. Kermit's normal personality in a Muppet production is that he is a bit more given to frustration and anger. But you can't do that and still maintain the Bob Cratchit character from the story because he is an almost completely selfless man in pretty much all versions. You know, um, because he has to be the epitome of the put upon working poor who is very angelic, not so much as Tiny Tim is, but he himself is very, you know, no, we we must toast Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast, you know, that kind of thing. Um, whereas Miss Piggy gets the Emily role and she can be like, oh no, Mr. Scrooge, you know, you can go with him basically. She can go full Piggy. Yeah, she can be Miss Piggy. Uh, but 
that's not, you know, Tasha was pointing out to me that, that that isn't Kermit. Kermit will get frustrated and will kind of tell you off if you're being that guy, you know? And so you have to kind of bring a, a softness to Kermit's personality and take some of that edge out for this particular role because of it has to be more Bob Cratchit than Kermit. But the one thing that Kermit does have as Bob Cratchit is he plays off very well as Robin with Robin, who works extremely well as Tiny Tim. Mm -hmm. He works very well off Miss Piggy, who um, is very good as Emily. Um, And also it just absolutely devastates you in the scene where Kermit has to give the speech about Tiny Tim leaving, you know? When he talks about finding the spot on the mountain where you can see the docks. It almost kind of makes me wish, like, how would Jim have done that? I don't don't think I could have. Yeah, it makes me cry every time I hear it, even with Steve's voice. If Jim had delivered that line, I mean... And I'm going to tell you, this movie came out in on December 11th, 1992, which was like one month after the death of my mother. And I got to go to a theater like, let's go watch the Muppets. That'll cheer me up. And that's the scene I got to watch Kermit perform with a new voice because we had just lost Jim and Richard. And the movie starts with In Memory of Jim and Richard. Yeah. You know, I mean, this movie, as much as I love it, every time I watch it, I'm, you know, 11 years old again in a theater being like, let's go to a movie and forget my trouble. You know. And no disrespect to Matt Vogel either in his performance, but Steve did a really good job with that performance. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I I have nothing but respect for everybody who's ever played Kermit. So, you know, it's, I'm not going to hate on, on any of the performers, but the, um, it's, it's a really good performance. uh, But when you're talking about characterizations of Kermit, this is definitely Kermit being an actor who is playing Bob Cratchit <laughs> um, rather than, you know, Bob Cratchit through the lens of Kermit, you know. Um, and I, I do I, I do thank Tasha for that. So, um, yeah, but there are some other interesting things. I mean, of course, the most interesting is you've got Gonzo as Charles Dickens. He's not even Gonzo. He's just straight up Charles Dickens. He introduces himself as, hello, I am Charles Dickens. It works, again, because you get Gonzo saying the actual prose of the novel, but also works as a way to let first-time viewers, because there's a lot of people who this is their first time getting familiar with the story. 
a lot of people have uh, our generation and later will say that this was their first exposure to the story of a Christmas Carol. And Gonzo's Charles Dickens does a, such a great job of slowly introducing newcomers to this story. And describing it in such a way, yes, it is the exact word-for-word prose from the novella, but he said it in such a way that someone who may not have any knowledge of the story can understand it without any kind of issue. It's really fascinating because, once again, Tasha was pointing out how well Gonzo was works as this as as Dickens, and she pointed me to right at the beginning of the story and said, "You know, I just let me read just a couple of sentences directly from the story, okay right." Old Marley was dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge that there's particular what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is that in the simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it, for the country's done for, you will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was dead as a doornail. And she pointed out that, like, if Gonzo had just started ranting about which was the deader piece of iron, a doornail or a coffin nail, on the stage of the Muppet Theater during the Muppet Show before Kermit came out and went, Gonzo, what are you talking about? I'm reading the book, Kermit. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that just sounds like a thing that the Muppets would have ranted about. But it's actually in the text of, it's right there in the text of, you know, Dickens himself just went like, you know, Marley was dead. Dead as a doornail. Why is a doornail so dead? Wouldn't you say like coffin nail? But no, some old guy hundreds of years ago decided that dead as a doornail was going to be the phrase. I don't know. I'm not the one writing the thing. I'm just the one telling you about it. But anyway, Marley was dead. I don't know. Whatever. Dead as a doornail. Anyway, but on with the story. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like out of nowhere. There's just this aside. and, And it does seem like a very gonzo thing to say. Yeah. Um. Which I I thought, you know, it's been ages since I've read any of the original story, you know. But I thought that also excellent point, Dasha. Thank you. Uh, but I can see why you'd pick Gonzo for that, because it does seem like a Gonzo sort of rant and a kind of Muppety sort of rant, you know. Um, the original text is full of these kind of random quips and asides and all that kind of stuff that really does fit with the Muppets, strangely enough. But also the writing, as well as the character of Gonzo, knows when to pull back. Like, there's that part at the end where we're getting to the ghost of Christmas yet to come. He'll say, you know what, kids? You're on your own. I'll see you at the finale. Because they know that you cannot make that scene Muppety. Yeah, and 
Gonzo has always had a strange sort of heart to him. You know, Gonzo can be wacky and then he can turn around and sing something like the wish song or whatever. Just rip your heart out Mm. or I'm going to go back there someday or whatever. And you completely buy it. And All, all of them written by the amazing Paul Williams, who does all the songs for this movie. Yeah, and so I I can't remember. I think it was Brian Henson. I, I've I've heard both Brian Henson and Steve Whitmire talk about this movie, and I can't remember which which one of them said it uh, as to how they made the decision to pair up Gonzo and Rizzo, because this was really the beginning of the Gonzo Rizzo friendship. Unfortunately, that doesn't exist anymore since Whitmire got fired from the Muppets. And they've tried to replace him with Pepe, which I love them together in in, in Muppets Haunted Mansion, but it doesn't feel the same. Yeah. Um they they haven't they haven't really found a a, a good replacement yet for, for Rizzo, sadly. The Gonzo Rizzo kind of double act just sort of came about, I think, because while Kermit was necessary as Cratchit, Cratchit isn't constantly on screen. And so Whitmire was able to do all these other characters, and when they needed somebody to kind of bounce off of Dave Gulls, you know, Whitmire was really good at that. And they felt that just having Gonzo show up alone and doing the narration wasn't really Muppety enough, you know? Yeah, Gonzo does need someone to bounce off of in that opening scene, and every other major Muppet character is cast in a different role. Yeah, and and Camilla doesn't work because she doesn't really do English, you know. Mm-hmm. She she just has the bagok kind of thing. And that would get annoying. Um, uh, that would get annoying uh, uh, for having minutes long conversation for going. Yeah, and of course you need you need somebody to translate. And the, well, you're right, Camilla. There's you know you know you have to do that bit, mm-hmm. um, and that works a little bit with Bunsen and Beaker. But that also gets annoying if you do it for too long. Mm. The thing is, is that those little, there are some of those Gonzo Rizzo bits that I just think, you know, some of them are obviously scripted, like the thing with the jelly beans, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly, Gonzo said on his official Twitter account for the 30th anniversary that um, somebody asked Gonzo where. Rizzo got those jelly beans in Victorian London. <laughs> and uh, Gonzo said, well, he brought them from home, of course. <laughs> so if you, if you were wondering, that is the official explanation for where Rizzo got jelly beans in Victorian London. Like, there's, but, a scene, there's a scene where they're having this argument and then Rizzo just kisses Gonzo on the nose. It's like, Well, that's what I was getting to, is that, yeah. you know, the, the jelly beans were obviously scripted, but there's a moment where he's eating the jelly beans and Gon- Gonzo looks at him and then Rizzo just 
leans over and just so gently kisses Gonzo right on the tip of his nose. And I was like, that had to have just been an ad lib because there's yeah. there's that long pause of just Gonzo staring at Rizzo like, what are you doing? And Rizzo and, just yeah. leans in and just so gently kisses Gonzo. I could see Steve <laughs> saying, okay, Brian hasn't said cut yet. Brian hasn't said cut yet. I gotta do something. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, are you gonna say cut? Are we done with the scene? There's no dialogue left. What are we doing? You know, like, um, and, you know, um, some of the things, you know, like the, the Rizzo being, they do the whole thing about jumping from the the top of the grate and then Rizzo forgetting his jelly beans and running back through the grate. Um, but uh, there are two bits with Gonzo as Dickens that I think are amazing because most of it is played oddly relatively straight with just Gonzo being Dickens. But there are two things that are, that are held over from Gonzo also being Gonzo. Which is that things keep happening to Rizzo and he keeps getting injured or thrown off of things or falling off of buildings or whatever. And Gonzo keeps saying things like, oh, you're so lucky or, oh, that looks like fun or whatever. Because Gonzo's the daredevil. And so to Gonzo, that is fun, you know, falling from a high place or doing a, a, you know, falling through the fireplace and landing on the hot goose or whatever. <laughs> to Gonzo, that does sound like fun, you know, it's a, it's an epic death-defying stunt, you know. Um, and so I like that Gonzo as Dickens keeps being jealous of or having fun when th those things happen and Rizzo is just not into it. Um, or, you um, know, I mean, people ask where Rizzo got the jelly beans. I want to know where Gonzo got the grappling hook. Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, is that an iron hook in Victorian London has a lot of uses and would have been around. And what Jell is that jelly hook beans connected? in Victorian London? I, I, I'm not sure we're invented yet. I don't. And where is that hook connected to? Because he throws it at Scrooge, it connects to something, and it's just. I'm, dang I'm really going to hope it's the the belt of Scrooge's robe, because <laughs> it's like dangling right between Scrooge's legs. I'm I'm joke. gonna go. I'm I'm hoping that it's the the belt of his robe. Let's <laughs> let's just go with that. And yeah, um. But the other thing that that's the holdover from Gonzo being Gonzo is that there are multiple chicken jokes. So now the Muppet version of Charles Dickens also has a thing for chicken. <laughs> so. I I I find that hilarious as well. <laughs> um, it just no no matter what part Gonzo is playing, his character will always have a thing for chickens, which I I like. But I think the greatest bit of casting, and it's very quick, is. Sam the Eagle, because how do you get an American Eagle into a 
production that is so very English. And they went with casting him as Scrooge's schoolmaster. Which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Teaching him the ways of business. Capitalism. What's more American than capitalism? It's the American way. And then Dickens Dickens has to to whisper in his ear and then he has to go like, it's the British way. That is like the most Muppety thing is this gonzo breaking character going up to Sam's like, Sam, you're not American in this story. Uh, but it is interesting, though, because when you're talking about, you know, you had to change Kermit's character so much to accommodate Bob Cratchit. The interesting thing is, is they played into some of Sam's character traits in order to make this character work because Sam's character traits fit this character so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, which is his, you know, the fact that he's always so strict and, you know, no better, better nobody better ha- have any fun here, you know, and like, so. With, you know, and the fact that the schoolmaster was such an influence on the way Scrooge is in the present day, and you see it there. Yeah, you do see that this is kind of where Scrooge gets his quote-unquote work ethic and all that. Um, And that Sam's stern demeanor and discipline rubbed off on young Scrooge is really fascinating. And I thought you know that that is a perfect kind of a character because if there's a a muppet character in that kind of original muppet show cast working in theater that you could kind of equate those character traits to it would be sam Mm -hmm. you know he's the one that kind of comes in and everybody get back to work you know Mm -hmm. um and so having him be that influence is interesting. Uh, but the one that I didn't really think about that once again, Tasha had some fascinating insight on was when they cast Fozzie as Fozziewig <laughs> for, for uh, Fezziwig. And I think that... I never really thought about it quite in these terms, but Fozzie in his relationship to Kermit on like the Muppet show and in Muppet movie and everything really wants to be like Kermit. He always has that desire to be that leader that Kermit is. If you were to walk into the theater and say to Fozzie, you know, all right, you know, you're the one in charge of the show tonight, you know, get get everybody to their places and, you know, do Kermit's job. Uh, 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 Kermit! He would freak out, but he thinks that that's what he wants. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if you were to ask him, like, you know, what what's your what's your dream other than, you know, being famous comedian, he really does admire that about Kermit and wants to to do that. And the thing is, is that that's what Fezziwig in the original story is. He's the very Kermit the Frog character. And honestly, if you were to cast just based on type, Fezziwig probably is the character that Kermit should be playing. But he doesn't have as much screen time, and you're going to give Kermit a bit part in the story. Yeah, and, and so that's why, you know, you have to change Kermit's character and give him Bob Cratchit. And, of course, the, the, the addition of Fozzie's mother in the story. Who, know, like, who they can't, who they have to call Ma Bear because there's already an Emily in the story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I, and I do, I do like that uh, he owns a rubber chicken factory. Hearing Michael Caine saying, my first job at Fuzzy Wigs Rubber Chicken Factory. <laughs> Which, once again, is said like he is delivering lines for the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> like, and, he's, and he says <laughs> it with such love and admiration for Fozzie. It's like, I've never worked for someone so nice as Fozzie. <laughs> Ruthless is a rose petal. Yeah. But at the same time, you can see that he probably wasn't making as much profit as he could because he wasted it all on Christmas celebrations. And, you know? Mm -hmm. So if... And that's where the When Love is Gone song is so important and the sequence should have never been cut because it shows that Scrooge had the chance to marry Belle and be happy and honestly could have possibly turned into Fozziewig. Um, but he was focused on, I can't marry you yet. My company isn't profitable. I can't marry you yet. We don't have enough money for a big enough house. I can't marry you yet. You know, we're not. And he keeps saying, no, I'm doing this all for you. You know, I love you. And so therefore I have to have all this money and all this, you know, and she's saying, no, it's it's not for me because I don't care about that stuff. All she wants is Ebenezer. Ebenezer. Yeah, she, she's she fine. Wants. She's like, your company is fine. He's like, it's barely turning a profit. And she's like, yeah, that, that's fine for me. That's plenty. You know, we have enough. It's okay. I'm cool with this situation. You're the one who's not. And we get that theatrical cut as like, you know, I'm doing this for you. I love you. And then Bell looks up, says, you used to once and then walks away. And scene, when you when you lose that song right after that, you lose the whole emotional meaning of that song and why Bell leaving with such with such an emotional moment for Ebenezer. Well, and kind of the emotional punch of that line as well. I mean, you you do get it a little bit, 
But the whole point of it is you are working so hard at this thing that you think you want that you're going to turn around one day and discover that love is gone. And when that love is gone, you're, you're going to miss it and wonder where it went. And just hearing Michael Caine and uh, Meredith Braun, who plays Belle, doing that final part of the song where he is, like, you can hear the pain in his voice and in his eyes as he remembers every word Belle said that day. And just mimicking her, you know, singing along to her as she's saying that final part. It was almost love. It was almost always that regret. And he, Michael Caine, perfect with the voice crack. You know, right, right, where, you know, sometimes dreams fall through. And it's such a great and emotional part of the, of the story. Because you really see the regret in Scrooge. That was the moment, his biggest regret in his life. The thing is, is that this is... This one song... And this one scene really is what made Scrooge who he is. And it's also a beautiful song. Mm -hmm. We get the pop version during the credits. And of course, the, the, the reprise at the end of the movie, but which now makes no sense because you cut the, the original song out. Yeah, if you if you uh, cut out the setup, the payoff doesn't actually work. Um... <laughs> The strange thing is that it's so baffling to me that someone could watch this and go like, this will bore the kids. Because it's like... It's Katzenberg. As I said, he wanted it, to get rid of well, part of your world. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and the thing is, is it's like, sometimes you wonder, like, do, do people have no soul? Probably, I don't know. I, mean, I talked to several people, you know, when you you said it yourself, and also I've talked to other people when I said that we were going to do this episode who have said that they grew up with the VHS version that had the song in it, and they never knew that there was another cut of the movie. And when they got older and they found out there was a different cut of the movie, they were like, well, th that's weird. Why would you cut that song? That that song is super important, and I always loved that song. I grew up as a child loving that song. Whereas I grew up the other way because I saw it in the theater first, and then I, I ended up with the version that had the just the original theatrical cut. So it was, I was older when I saw the like, oh, there's an extra song in this movie that, you know, was never added in. Um, and then when I saw it, I was like, why did they ever cut this song? This is a gorgeous song. And it's way, it makes way more sense as to why Scrooge is the way he is. Um, but the people I know who grew up with the song as children loved that song so hush Casimir. 
Also, the pop version of this song is not very good. I like Martina McBride who sings it, mm-hmm. but the pop version at the end is really bad, even for a pop version of a song. It doesn't have the emotional gut punch that Meredith Braun's version does. Yeah, but it's just it's 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 a really bad like like that, mix of the song or something. I don't know. Like, Martina McBride does not sound like herself. The way it's mixed doesn't sound good. It's just it's I don't know. It just I don't like it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, the choice to to not cast any established Muppet character as any of the goats. These are all completely original characters. That and they're is, perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you've got, you know, Jerry Nelson, the amazing Jerry Nelson playing Ghost of Christmas Present. Amazingly, you get Jessica Fox doing the voice of the Ghost of Christmas Past, not the actual puppeteering. Yeah, the puppeteering was done by uh, Karen Prell, who a lot of people remember as Red Fraggle. Uh, or the the worm from Labyrinth. <laughs> the Ghost of Christmas Past, I think, is the 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 creepy the creepy one. Very I don't know. Di- there's something about that little baby. <laughs> I mean, they make it look like it's a doll. It's the most doll-like Muppet I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something like really, really creepy. And then Scrooge is like, but you're just a child. And I'm like, no, it's a nightmare is what it is. But I also think that the um, Ghost of Christmas Future, Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come or whatever, you know, you want to call it. I think that that's one of the best versions of that. Because it's creepy, but it also feels tangible. I mean, I know it's just a dude in a suit, but so many of the versions just try to do like a, you know, oh, let's do a blue screen thing, and it'll be like, it's it's a sheet on a rod, and we'll just kind of move it through water or something, you know? I don't know. It really does feel like a an entity that is present and menacing. And the way they do the hood where there's just kind of like a void inside of it is, yeah. is, is they're really unsettling. But Ghost of Christmas Present also feels like you want to go party with that guy. Oh, yeah. Um, they completely remove ignorance and want from, the, from this version. And I, I don't know how that would have worked in a Disney movie. I don't know. But the you know the 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 idea of of Christmas present uh, mirror uh, shoveling back Scrooge's words from earlier in the movie when he sees Tiny Tim and you know like well he'll die and you know the decrease the surplus population isn't that what you said? Granted, that is the book, but still the yeah the- and and it seems somehow even more cutting because you really like. Ghost of Christmas Present, and when when Jerry Nelson says it, there's no sarcasm there. He just delivers it as like a holly jolly kind of line. And for some reason, that makes it even more cutting. 
Yeah, someone who can say something so cruel with a smile on their face. And it's almost like it takes Scrooge a second to really connect those words. Because the way most actors perform that line when they're doing Christmas present is like, let me give you like really cutting, biting social commentary. And for some reason, Jerry Nelson was just like, let me say that as if that's the happiest line I've ever said. Yeah, kid's going to die. Like, and for some reason, the the fact that he delivers that in the exact same cadence as he does everything else, like, we're still just having a party, just suddenly makes Scrooge realize the absolute awful weight of that even more. Because suddenly it's like, that's the most monstrous thing I've ever heard. How could you say that with a happy, oh, wait, am I the bad guy? Like, (laughs) it really just does hit harder because it's not a condemnation. It's just kind of like a, hey, those were were your words, buddy. Like, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think that that's what makes the scene work so well is that. Suddenly it's just like, here's this, you know, really cheerful guy going around saying all the absolutely awful things that Scrooge just said that morning. And Scrooge is like, oh, that's really how I sound, except I also say it while sounding completely dour. And there's something about that voice and that manner saying those awful things back that just hits different somehow. Yeah, I, I don't I, I I like that performance because of that. I, I think it's probably my favorite version of Christmas present in any I mean and then you know the the puncher there is Gonzo continuing the the, the narration as as Rizzo is counting the bells as he's ringing them. One, two, three. Yeah. Well, you don't want to get the wrong number of bells. Yeah. <laughs> you might hit 15 o'clock or something. <laughs> that would be my problem as a bell ringer. You know, it's like you got the ADHD or whatever. And also, I just like the sound of bells. So I just like get into a rhythm and be like, yay, bells. And then I'd be like, wait, 23 o'clock. Oh, crap. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, um, the thing. I think while we're just on ghosts, how brilliant is it to have Marley and Marley? Oh yeah, I, I wanted to get to them. The the that's another one is that once they they had a pro apparently Brian had a problem of who was going to play Jacob Marley, and then when they decided to put in Stetler and Wald Wardor Stetler and Waldorf as Marley and Marley. Jacob Marley and Robert Marley, Bob Marley. It's such a good joke. <laughs> and, you know, they have their song and it's it's one of those songs that is one of the most remembered songs from the movie. You know, we just mentioned when love is gone, but it's like Marley and Marley or it feels like Christmas or one more sleep till Christmas that Kermit sings earlier and. I listen to One More Sleep Till Christmas every night on uh, every year on Christmas Eve. Yeah. 
that's like the the last thing I listen to before I go to bed on Christmas yeah. Eve. So of course them being, you know, the ones that heckle Scrooge, and then the strangest thing that I've seen in, as as a young person watching this, young Statler and Waldorf. Yeah, that's that's so bizarre. Also, old Sam the Eagle. Can we just mention that for a second? Like and at the Fozzie. end of the movie. Old Fozzie. Well, yeah, old old Fozzie as well. But I think we've seen old Fozzie in other productions <laughs> over the years. Old Sam the Eagle and how he has like that like line of feathers. Like he's got a line of gray feathers that they add to his head. <laughs> Which I think is so funny. Um, but, but to me, uh, yeah, but to me, like, the perfect, like, the perfect setup is that Fozzie is doing the speech up in the balcony is Statler and Waldorf doing the heckling. Like, they, they you know, the, the perfect reference to the Muppet Show. Yeah. And I... I just have to say that that Marley and Marley song is such a banger. Again, just it credit to I mean, Paul Williams' writing it, skills. Oh yeah, I mean, a Paul Williams song is just a, a, a thing of joy forever, but um it is and the puppetry in this sequence with the way they use the chains and the ledger books and you know all all the other little props as they float through the air i know a lot of people who were absolutely terrified by this scene as a child it's the you know the mix of the of uh, of the music the all the you know the chains uh, the money boxes and everything and the fact that that the chains are slowly and slowly before we get to the crescendo of the song where they just start pulling Marley and Marley back down to the underworld. <laughs> and Michael Caine sells this like this is the most terrifying thing he has ever seen and not a couple of Muppets singing a song at him. I mean, it's nothing because Stetler and, and Waldorf are green screened in. This is, you know. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea what he was seeing, if anything. Mm-hmm. During his reaction shots, I've never seen, like, behind-the-scenes footage of this scene, so I don't know if it was, like, you know, look at the tennis ball on a stick or whatever, you know? Like, I, I don't know if, what method they were using, but... I mean, and they do the same trick for, for Ghost of Christmas Past. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly do not know what he was reacting to, but... Oh my goodness, what a professional, because you buy every second of it that he is seeing the most life-changing, horrifying thing in his entire life, and it is Statler and Waldorf singing the most banger song you have ever heard, <laughs> and Michael Caine is absolutely having brown trousers time at the other end of this song. I mean, maybe maybe the old guys had a point about heckling the talent at the Muppet Show. It's like, you know, when they have, like, the banger song of the movie. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, you, you never think that Stadler and Waldorf had it in him because all, all you think the entire time is like, well, if you think you can do a better job, but here they are in Muppet Christmas Carol coming up with the absolute creme de la creme of the film. <laughs> Singing and dancing their way through the film. I mean, come on, you know, maybe all these years we should have been putting Stadler and Waldorf on stage. Maybe. Those old queens can get it. Come on. <laughs> get on stage, boys. Give us a performance. Come on. Kermit and Piggy as as the Cratchits with their frog boys and pig girls. A joke that continues. Yeah. Basically, anytime we see Kermit and Piggy, and I think the joke started prior, didn't it? Where they met. I think this is a joke that started in the um, in some of the previous Muppet productions where, like, they imagine future lives together or whatever. And it's always frog boys and big girls. I mean, it always goes back to that to that training, that that test footage for the Muppet movie where Kermit says, you know what you get when you get a frog and a pig? You get a bouncing baby fake. <laughs> yeah. Thing about it is that I... Uh, uh, on the day we're filming this, they actually tweeted out on on Muppet social media of you can't be a real Muppet fan if you can't tell us uh, which of these pigs is uh, Belinda and which of these pigs is Patina. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I I love that I love that joke. Um, but the thing of um, them having these moments where the bits of Scrooge changing his personality where you see him start to break through of like you know oh I remember Fozziewig and then you get the moments where he is with Ghost of Christmas Present and Ghost of Christmas Present is singing his song and Scrooge starts dancing a little bit and, you know, starting to get into it and, you know. And by the by the end of it, when he's back and it's Christmas morning and he's talking to Bean Bunny and, you know, go get me the turkey and all that kind of stuff and then he's got that moment with Beaker and Bunsen and Beaker gives him the scarf yeah and for some reason that is one of the sweetest moments <laughs> I don't know but the way Michael Caine sells that like Someone has just given me a scarf as a gift. No one has given me a gift in years. Like, you have the feeling that no one has given him a gift probably since Belle left him. Yeah. You know? And just Beaker 
giving him that gift of a scarf and him, you know, putting it on and, you know, you could see that like tears are starting to come to his eyes and everything. And it's like, Oh man. Uh, and so one thing I didn't notice is that during that ending scene, we get a cameo from Sprocket. I noticed that too. Yeah, Sprocket is Sprocket from Fraggle is Rock. There. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's in one of the buildings there, and it's a blink and you'll miss it. But yeah, those little moments where you can see his personality soften, and you can see that he's really wanting to to get into it and all that, but. I do think I've always thought that one of the funniest lines, because I mean, I know the whole thing is a Christmas carol and, and everything, but you know, it's one of the funniest lines. And interestingly enough, I've thought this for years, and I do like that um, Cinema Therapy, the uh, the YouTube channel, brought that brought this up in their new video. So shout out to them because I've thought this for years, and one of their one of their people, one of their hosts, brought it up uh, as well. When and it's from the book, so I'm not like calling the movie out on this as like a, this is a stupid line because it's from the book. But um, when Scrooge is terrified and he's down on his knees begging Chris, uh, Christmas yet to come. And he's like, you know, please don't don't let me die. Don't let this be my future. And, you know, I promise I'll be better. I promise I will keep the spirit of Christmas. And the guy on Cinema Therapy did kind of note, like, that's the moral of this. Just, like, celebrate Christmas. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Which is like, yeah, okay, it's it's a broader thing. Like, be be more charitable and stuff. Like, that's supposed to be the spirit of Christmas, but it's just it kind of <laughs> Victorian England had less of that like commercialization of Christmas than we have now. Yeah. So watching it from a modern perspective, it's like throw a party and buy people gifts or whatever, you know, like go buy an Xbox and your future won't be so crummy kids. Like, it hits a little different now, but um, it just, the way like Michael Caine sells it so well that it just it's like, it does hit a little weird when it's like, I promise I will keep the spirit of Christmas all year long. And in such a hyper-capitalist society, it just hits a little different now, you know? Yeah. Um, I get what Dickens was going for. I'm not, like, that's not a knock on Tom Dickens at the original theme of the of the story, which I support, but uh, just a slightly different to a modern audience. Uh, but, yeah. The, uh, I love I love that Cinema Therapy did their video and they chose to to uh, therapize Scrooge, but specifically this Scrooge because they said this was the best version of Christmas Carol, and they're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, interestingly, when this when this came out, it was not like super well liked by critics. I mean, it was like okay liked 
But the film critics were like, yeah, it's okay. It's a Muppet movie. But, like, you know, this isn't going to go down as one of the best versions of Christmas Carol ever made or anything. Oh, how wrong they were. (laughs) And here we are 30 years later, and, like, every millennial and below is like, this is the best version of Christmas Carol ever made. <laughs> it is. I mean, it kind of is. It's the one that kind of always, you know, of all the versions of Christmas Carol, you this is the one so many people go back to. Granted, it's probably the one that they were introduced the story to, but it, there's just so much warmth in this movie, and it's. As we said before, probably one of the most accurate to the book versions of A Christmas Carol. Yeah, I mean, without just, you know, if, if you if you take away the fact that, like, yes, okay, some of the parts are being played by Muppets. There's nope. there's not a m- m- there's not much more you could do to make this more faithful as an adaptation rather than just stand there and quote the book at people. Mm-hmm. And honestly, this film basically just stands there and quotes the book at people. God, that's Gonzo's entire thing. Yeah, that's Gonzo's entire point, is like, hi, I'm going to stand here and quote the book at you. Um, because a lot of the lines from the the characters are just quoting the book at people. You know, uh, down to the lines like, that Kermit says down to the lines. I mean, pretty much all of Gonzo's lines are just from the narration of the book. Almost all of Michael Caine's lines are straight from the book. Most of Kermit's lines are from the book. I mean, you basically have to get down to just the stuff that Rizzo says before you get to our piggy. A little bit of what Piggy says, but even some of the stuff that, that that Piggy says, you know, founder of the feast indeed. And, you know, like that whole speech is basically from the book. <laughs> Most of the Tiny Tim lines are just lifted from the book. Some of the Sam the Eagle, the Eagle stuff is is different. Um, the Fozzywig stuff has been changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the Marley stuff was modified because most of it was put into song. Uh, but, you know, other than just kind of we shoved this into an hour and a half movie, a lot of this is, you know, almost directly word for word from the book in large places. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's hard to find something when you're just talking about like oh, I want a faithful adaptation what you're saying is you're mad that it's performed by puppets you're mad that we have frogs and bears and chickens and things yeah but I mean honestly if you just did a Christmas carol as performed by a puppet theater it's almost exactly the same thing with a couple of jokes thrown in. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't really know. I, I mean, unless you're having a quibble with the songs or 
the jokes. Okay, fine. I mean, there are other musical versions of A Christmas Carol. Again, the two versions that came out this year are both musicals. Yeah. And both of them are comedies. So, you know, I mean, is your quibble that it's a comedy? Is your quibble that it's a musical? Okay, fine. Those are... I mean, I, I will disagree, but if that's your your problem with it, I'm not going to stop you. Is your problem that it is Muppets slash Puppets? Okay, fine. I mean, I, I'm, t- I'm going to tell you this straight out. I went, to, I went to Thanksgiving with one side of my family, and one member of my family was watching the Macy's Thanksgiving parade, and the Fraggles came up. And that particular member of my family started smack talking just Muppets in general. And I was like, we are not related anymore. <laughs> not for real, but it was it was a very much a like, how are we related moment? <laughs> Every family's got one, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But um as far as as far as things to disagree with your family on, that one's minor, I'll admit. But um you know, I mean, everybody's got their own particular taste. If you if you don't want Muppets in your adaptation, okay, fine. There are other adaptations you can watch. But this is definitely my favorite adaptation of Christmas Carol. If I'm going to sit down and watch an adaptation of Christmas Carol, I'm going to watch this one. I don't watch Christmas movies. This is a Christmas movie I watch every year. And, you know... A lot of people will say, oh, it's a kid's movie. They they toned down the book. They really don't. Yeah, this is, like like we've said multiple times, this is basically just the book. Yeah, I mean, and the point that, they, the fact that they pointed out in the movie, wow, this story is really scary. We got kids in the yard. So are we okay with that? Oh, no, this is culture. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, And honestly, there there are scary things in other Muppet films. I mean, yeah. we've talked about it before. The Muppet movie literally has a guy hunting Kermit down because he wants to chop his limbs off and sell them for other people to eat. Yes. So, <laughs> at that point, just kind of facing your own mortality and the fact that people don't like you, I mean, it depends on your ability to process existential crisis, I guess, but... I don't know. I think I'm going to have... Scrooge's entire thing is, am I the bad guy? That, and then realizing, yes, I am the bad guy. I do not want to be the bad guy. Yeah. Dear Muppets, can we please send you to talk to uh, some certain billionaires right now? (laughs) Because I've got Um, a list, and I'm checking it twice. We need some ghosts. (laughs) We need three ghosts. I don't think we have, I mean, do we have enough ghosts to send to every billionaire in the world? <laughs> yes, we have more than enough. You know, it's it's lasted for 30 years. The fact that, and there are some adaptations of A Christmas Carol that get forgotten very quickly. Or, especially the ones that try to modernize the story get dated very quickly. The fact that they they this story sticks so close to the original story, the original book, the original time period, it almost makes it makes the movie timeless. Yeah, I mean there are anachronisms in this movie. You know, there's the thing about the jelly beans, and there's the thing about the teddy bears. 
Um, you know, a few other, uh, a few other things like that, but they kind of stayed away from like topical humor, you know, I mean the Bob Marley joke, haha, you know, mm. but that one's so subtle that it took me years to get that that was even the joke, <laughs> you know? And this kind of started a unofficial trilogy of classic literature adaptations. We've already talked about Muppet Treasure Island. And then they eventually did Muppet Wizard of Oz. I feel like we could do with more of them. Uh, the interview I mentioned earlier for Entertainment Weekly mentioned the idea of doing Pride and Prejudice as a Muppet movie. I can see Pride and Prejudice and Muppets. I'm all for this. I mean, I'm not a huge Jane Austen fan, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, and I think that that could be a way to bring the Muppets back into the popular, the populace again, maybe. Because for a lot of people, these movies, those the movies that I just said, uh, Christmas Carol and Treasure Island were the movies that introduced people to the Muppets. So why not take a classic piece of literature and adapt it as a Muppet movie? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm very much for doing more classic literature via Muppets. You know, I, I still think one of the best things to ever happen to classic literature was Wishbone. <laughs> so, you know, I'm 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 very much for anything that gets people interested in some of these cl classic literature stories. Um, and I would like to see Muppets do that. The picture of Dorian Green. That would be amazing. Uh, I loved Muppets Haunted Mansion, you yeah. know, so, and I think... Even this is kind of, you know, a, a gothic ghost kind of story, you know, bordering on that kind of thing. I mean, when they um, say, you know, when they say scary ghost stories at Christmas, this is what they mean. Yeah. And the thing is, is that a lot of ghost stories take place in the, the winter months mm -hmm. for a reason. So... It would it would be cool to see Muppets do more kind of edgy, you know, borderline. Um, I think Jekyll and Hyde could really work well as a Muppet movie. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Do like a a interesting thing where like something that Bunsen and Beaker are working on goes awry and turns one of the Muppets into like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, that would, that would be, that would be fascinating. Um, but the, uh, maybe a more accurate Three Musketeers. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I mean, I mean there, there's, there's no shortage of classic literature that is public domain that the Muppets could use. And there is no story that cannot be improved by putting Muppets in it. True. Um, and they used to do more things, you know, of course, when when Jim was still alive, they used to do all sorts of things. Yeah, there was a whole series, Tales from Muppetland. 
that they, it was just half hour specials like Cinderella or the Frog Prince where they would just take the classical story and just put Muppets in them. Yeah. I think that it would be cool to do, you know, Disney has been struggling with trying to figure out what to do with the Muppets. Mm. And I think they've been put pushing so hard into trying to figure out what to do with like, you know, doing a series or doing a feature film or what. And I think it would be much better to do kind of smaller one-off projects Mm. to do, you know, a series of maybe, you know, the Muppets tell this fairy tale or the Muppets tell this piece of literature or the Muppets tell, you know, Mm-hmm. So I, it, it might be a good idea for them to to do that. I mean, with Iger back in charge, who knows? So Kiki, <laughs> this is a redundant question, but does the Muppet Christmas Carol have the magic? Yes, absolutely. I will. I will echo what we said before. This is. I, probably the best adaptation of a christmas carol and one of the greatest christmas movies ever made if you if you have not watched this movie do yourself a favor and do so and do watch the extended edition you will you will you will you will thank us for that because it does have that that extra gut punch that really pushes the story forward yeah and uh if you've got little ones around during the holidays, whether they're yours or just members of your family or, you know, friends, kids or something, uh, then gather them around the old Disney Plus box and uh, <laughs> put this on because, man, this is this is a good one. And it's a great introduction to the story to someone, to a young person who may not know the story. It's a great. Yeah, it's a great introduction to this classic story. And the songs are so good. Oh, yeah. So, so good. So good. So uh, let's let's move on. Next week will be our final episode of 2022. And we are going to be talking about one of the most interesting series to come on Disney Plus this year. Andor. We've we polled a bunch of our friends uh, and asking them what Disney Plus anything that came out this year was your favorite or the one that that got the most interest out of you. And for a lot of them, it was Andor. And I am hard pressed to disagree about 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 that. Yeah, we were we were kind of surprised at the response. Especially something, especially something that came in so late in the game. Like yeah, the, and the, the sh- this year had a lot of contenders um, and a lot of good series, um, and this one was so polarizing. And even people who didn't like it as much still wanted us to talk about it. So you know, it's it's definitely got people talking, whether or not it was their favorite thing. Or, you know, a bit more controversial or whatever, you know. But uh, it definitely 
was something that people were having a conversation about, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah, so come back and we'll end the year talking about Andor. So uh, from all of us to all of you, happy holidays, happy whatever you're celebrating at this time of year. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you are with loved ones and uh, you enjoy yourself. So uh, go watch the Muppets. Yeah, go watch the Muppets. (laughs) And uh, we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.